Greetings, ladies and mental gents, and welcome to this patch video for the web novel First Contact, written by Ralts Bloodthorn, which is available on both Royal Road and HFY. The links for them will be down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. First Contact, Chapter 48 the second high most expected illegal fighters in the mechs to charge these dropships. In nearly 2,000 power armor ready to swarm the nine patchwork looking mechs in front of him to pry the pilots out so that they could summarily be executed. He was personally looking forward to exiting the cramped shelters of the center of the executor headquarters and moving to what seismic scouting had shown as a heavy and elaborate shelters beneath the mining facility. He already knew that he'd use his planetary authority to order the Terran anti-aircraft to point defenses units to either leave or follow his orders, then eject the rabble and useless drones from the shelter so those who, by right, should have been in those shelters could take their rightful place. Ilmoak didn't bother charging. He opened the armored covers of his missile launchers and started firing. The power armor, barely taller than his foot, he raked the long-range lasers and particle beams. Armor exploded. The missiles, programmed to hammer through precursor armor, sliced through the dropships like butter, and the point defense barely had time to come online before the hypersonic missiles started blowing huge holes in the ships. The feeding flickered and died as three-quarters of the dropships exploded into shards, the shrapnel ripping through the still-forming ranks of power armor, Autocannons, lasers, particle beams, mag shot rounds, all ripped into the power armor as the mech pilots triggered a second salvo. A few power armor groups charged, using their jump packs to take to the air in big hops. The mech pilots swept them out of the sky with lasers and autocannons. Within seconds, the armor was fleeing back to the dropships, several of the surviving handful of dropships attempting to take off, only for the third volley of missiles to smash into them collapsing deflector shields, overwhelming point defense, and what was more used to thrown homemade explosives than hypersonic missiles in long streams of screaming, swirling missiles, some of which exploded into submunitions that kicked into the grav generators and slammed tungsten steel tips into the hulls of the dropships with nearly Mach 20. Goodbye, Executor, Ilwerk said emotionlessly. The image of the second highmost, he then opened up his rotating autocannon, slamming the 200mm shells, fired one every half a second as the barrels rotated into the hull. The single burst blew through the entire ship, exiting out the other side and slamming against the next one. He knew that his uncle, his aunt, his cousins, so young and innocent, would remain in their shelters as he raked the last of the power armor infantry with his non-consumable munition weapons. He felt something then, a flicker. Something, he didn't know what, but he felt it for a second. All enemy down, Tack reported. I don't think that went the way they expected. If it did, it was a poor plan, Elmoak stated. All pilots back to the choke point. The Jotun undoubtedly hopes that we are damaged. The other eight pilots flashed icons for ascent, following him back. Plankatik raked the shattered ranks of the power armor once more, just for good measure, before turning and following Ulmoak. 
Her brood carriers were swollen with squirming prodlings growing from the eggs that she had deposited and her husband's fertilized. She would not allow some pampered executive who had looked down on the streets that she had fought and clawed to survive on take their place. If she was fated to die, then so be it. Her husbands would sing her glory to the podlings. The nine mechs, shimmering with heat, moved back to the end of the valley when waited. Ulwak was almost ready to radio back to find out what was taking so long when Tax spoke up. We've got satellite again. The mad lad trucker put half a dozen bolos in orbit. He did it. He actually did it, Tack laughed. Oh, and the 144th Ordnance is arriving. They say they're going to load us up with munitions. They've even got maintenance techs and parts. All right, everyone, let's head back. Ulmoak ordered. Everyone was silent as they marched back. Gone was the chatter, the jokes, the usual talk. Instead, Ulmoak had noted that everyone appeared to be exhausted, even though they'd been getting rest. They didn't feel tired, just bored. Tack, Ulmoak asked. Yeah, boss, what's up? Tack asked. Can you check everyone's vitals? I'm worried that they may be tired. Ulmoak said. Yeah, just a second, Tack said. After a moment, he answered. A little tired, but no more than normal. Why do they seem so exhausted? Why are they so silent? Usually, Distraxel does not be silent, but he has said hardly two sentences since the first battle. Ulmoak said, Is it, what is it called, a bioweapon? There was a silence for a moment. Boss, do you not know about battle fatigue? Battles make you tired, of course. That's why I insist in nap and sleep between. Ulmoak said, That's why I suggested stims before the battle. Well, it's... Wait, you did what? Tack said, boss, that's not a good idea. It's not a good idea even with a professional standing force. Why not? Ulmoak asked, looking at the unused impact sitting in his pouch. It messes with your body chemistry. I mean, real bad. Just a few minutes of combat can leave you exhausted for a day or two. That's why sleep is so important to commanders. Tack said, boss, you guys aren't trained for this. You should start to need rotating. Like with the ammunition, Elmoak asked. Like that, only take like half of your force out. Just have the rest and stand by, eating and sleeping, Tack said. Some of them will feel too tired to drink liquid or even eat. Oh, Elmoak said. He felt fine. He'd assumed that the others did too. Who should I have sleep? Tack sighed. I don't know. According to my files, have the ones who took the most damage get some sleep. They're going to be the most tired. I shall follow your advice, warboy, Almuak stated. He wished he had his narco brew. Captain McGran, 144th Ordnance Company, you must be Ulmoak, the Terran said. He still stuck Ulmoak as an odd when he saw a human who wasn't a warborg. The Terran had on body armor with strength enhancements and a backpack more like a hump on his back, but nothing like the heavy body of a warborg. His face was fuzzy, orange and white, with a muzzle adorned with whiskers and a black nose, his mouth full of sharp-pointed canine teeth. I am known as such, Omoak said. He looked around at the humans that were running everywhere, some carrying technical-looking equipment that must about weighed them by five to six times. Some in the massive cargo mech frames were grabbing blocks of missiles and cannons and mag shot and moving them over. This is all mil-spec ammo, variable mission configurable missile warheads, all in the hypersonic range. Mission configurable mortar rounds, same with your cannon and mag shot, the Terran said. I'm having my men to make sure your VIs know how to use them. You have advanced virtual intelligence, Omar said. The Terran raised an eyebrow. Really? 
Yes, Holmwax said. There was a silence for a moment before the human cleared his throat. Well then, uh, we'll reload your stores, some medical supplies, and medical VI. Drop you some food and water and get moving. We've got an armor brigade down to slush, the human said. Very well, Holmwax said. The Terran turned away, shaking his head and flicking his ears. He'd dealt with the Langtalans before, and usually they were blowing saliva, rattling those tendrils around, raising and lowering their chest, and shaking their jowls. That one had just been still, his eyes dead and empty, more life in the cybernetic eye. He's probably just tired, Captain Morgan thought to himself, wishing that he could scratch the base of his tail through the armor. Alvoak moved over to where the narco brew and food had was strewn on up on the table. He took a bottle of brew and some condensed Nutri-Cud and watched the humans run around. It looked like a complete anarchy to him, but within half an hour the Terran who had talked to him came walking back up. You're good to go. We can't drop the nanoforge or creation engine here. Too much metal in the rocks. They just start doing extraction without taking a few hours to put up the proper shielding and running the proper protocols. The Terran said, his whiskers trembling. The same reason we can't drop you an AI core. The AI would get drunk on the EM scatter, and then the metal without enough shielding and our nanoforges are mostly slush. Very well, Almorak said. The Terran looked at him for a moment and then shrugged and headed towards the vehicle, a sleek-looking hovercraft with a squad of barrel iron slug rapid-fire guns in the back. The Terran, leaning against it with a white stick in his mouth, blowing smoke as he watched the sky. Elmoak knocked on the table an almost empty bottle, getting his pilot's attention. Once he was sure that he had it, he spit out the plastic fiber wadding in the synth cud on the ground and looked at them. Everyone, get some sleep. We'll have satellites now to watch the Pegasus for us, Elmoak said. I'll wake you if you are needed. From now on, we only go out in groups of twelve with a leader. They all nodded, breaking up, and Elmoak watched them leave. He moved over to the highmost mechanic, Cricket, and looked over the ammunitions and stalls. Alwak noticed the smaller being had the headset on, obviously speaking with his own AVI. How well are we now stocked? Alwak asked. Cricket looked up, nodding. Very well. These missiles, there's something else, boss. Our tubes can fire them, luckily. And the parts? Alwak asked. A little problem there. If we have to fix the knee, we'll have to replace both actuators, or you'll run with a limp because these are top-shelf stuff, Cricket said. He wiped his hands on his coveralls up and shading his eyes. You sure we'll be getting warning if someone's coming? I'm sure, Olwak said. He looked around. I must go speak to another, ensure the mechs are loaded and repaired. Cricket nodded. Sure, boss, sure. Alwak cropped away, heading into the office where Tack had been brave enough to tell him that he had failed. He moved in, picked up a shielded communicator, normally used to talk to corporate headquarters in the capital, and plugged it in, and dialed the comm code he'd memorized, leaned back and sitting sling, and waited. His uncle's face appeared. Apartment 2621. Uncle, Alwak said, reaching out and touching the screen. He could almost feel something, something he felt when he'd watched the Thumpman escort his uncle to the shelters. Ulmwak, his uncle said. Ulmwak expected the older Langtalan to inflate his crest, curl his tendrils, and shake his jaws in rage. Instead, the older man looked behind him, then looked back at the screen. Are you well? Ulmwak nodded. I am uninjured. 
Is it terrible up there? The news says that the planetary forces are defeating the precursors across the fronts and that they will be defeated in a matter of days, his uncle said. He paused. That is not true, is it? Almuak shook his head. No, uncle, it is not. Even the humans are fighting hard. The factory... To the bowels with the dying ones with the factory. Almuak, how are you? The older male repeated. I am uninjured, Almuak said. I wish to know that you and our family are not suffering. The older Almuak's trumpets trembled with something Almuak didn't understand. It is crowded, it is noisy at times, but your sec men are keeping order. We are just not suffering. But what about you? Almuak shrugged. I'll fight to defend the shelters. Not only are you there, but loyal workers and their families. Families of my Bashmek pilots. His uncle stayed silent, reaching back with four hands and touching the screen at the corners. Please, nephew, be careful. Almuak shrugged again. It'll be what it'll be, uncle. I shall fight hard to prevent the precursors from reaching you. Shall I fall? The Terrans have stated that they will protect you. You... you managed to make a deal with the Terrans? His uncle asked. No, they value you and the others and will seek to protect you. Almuak said. No deal, no bargain. They just have sworn to witness what I and my pilots do here and protect you. Loy, who is that? Almuak heard his aunt ask. Something inside him twisted and he felt something for a moment. Tell her I was just a thumpman, Almuak said. Stay alive, uncle. Before the uncle could reply, he unplugged the communicating device. The feeding went away and he picked up a half-empty bottle of whiskey and took a long drink. Boss, are you alright? Tack asked. Of course, Holmwack said, finishing off the bottle and setting it on the desk. He tapped the narco injector into his arm. Why wouldn't I be? Just checking. You should get some sleep, Tack said. I have things that must be done. You should get some rest, defrag, recompile and sector check yourself. Holmwack said, sliding out of the sling. All right, boss, call me if you need me, Tack said. I will, Almuak promised, clopping away through the deserted refinery office. Almuak stood on the edge of a valley, staring at the howl beyond. The Jotun had pushed more vehicles and more and more at his bash mechs. Tack had told him that the Jotun had been forced to allocate a heavy combat robot to defend against the Terran combat vehicles. Now, the entire valley was nothing but broken, scorched, carbonized, and melted metal, slagged internals of robots, and a pair of dead bashmaks. I screwed up. I didn't fall back fast enough when the aircraft came in, Plunkatek said, shaking her head. Zimkmak and Tekriz got caught up by the bombing run. Half my bashmaks got seriously damaged, and I've had to send the back for repair. Were they witnessed? Almuak asked carefully. Yes, Plunkatuk said softly. Hail, how dead, she said. She fired a single hypersonic missile. No guidance, no warhead, just a dead missile on a high parabolic arc that left a white trail in the sky as it sped towards the Jotun and vanished in the distance. Did they have family in the shelters? Almuak stared into the destroyed valley that had once been the site of a luxury vacation homes for wealthy executives. The river was full of toxic runoff from the battles. Yes, both did, Plunkatuk said. Then they will live on, Almuak said. Boss, boss! Takes suddenly broke into the somber moment. Take a knee! What? Almuak asked. He heard Plunkatuk's warboy yell the same thing. This! Tuck threw a wire frame of the old screens, just 
down on one knee, arms covering his chest, face tilted down, hands over his face, leaning slightly forward. Alboak took the position, feeling shattered Picos machines crumble even further under his knees. Why do we... Alboak started. A bright flash, a tore, opened the sky, and Tack turned off the screens of the cockpit completely opaque. This rumble started, the speakers howled with static, sparks shot out forward of the control panel. The rumble got louder and harder, and suddenly a shock wave hit them from the front. He actually felt his mech slide back a few meters. Something moving at 500 ton bulk like it was an adult pushing a defiant child. He then has a split second of calm, then the blast hit again. Harder, and Olmwak found himself leaning forward. Ejecting missile bay, digital omni messiah help us, Tack screamed out. Another space, then a third shock wave. this one lifting him slightly, giving him a brief feeling of weightlessness. Impacts hit his battle screens, and Olmwak was sure that it was the wreckage of the precursor vehicles being thrown against the bash mech by some giant hand. Olmwak felt something inside, just for a second. His mech hit the ground, and he narrowly avoided putting his hand out to stabilize himself before Tack got his gyros under control. Here comes the boom, boss! Tack screamed, and Olmwak could hear the fear in the AVI's voice. The roar! The explosion wasn't a sound, it was a physical thing, at first slammed into his bash mech with steel-covered knuckles. He managed to keep on one knee, managed to keep upright, light shined through the cracks that he didn't even know were there around his modified cockpit cover. He saw his battle screens fail right before his screens dissolved into static. Tack screamed in agony. The radiation meters inside the cockpit began to howl. Uvid panels blew out, showering Ulmoak's flanks with visplas. Static howled through Ulmoak's implant, and his cyber eye suddenly went white and shut down. His mech went dead. It was silent, just the ticking of cooling metal, not even a faint hum of the fusion reactor. Ulmoak sat there, looking around in curiosity as the cyber eye rebooted. Failed, rebooted again and came online, shot with static that slowly cleared. His cockpit cover was cracked in two places, the foot-thick armor-plast crazed white and shot through the spiderwebs. Carefully, slowly, Ulmoak restarted his bash mech. It took five minutes before it started up sluggishly. The fusion reactor had to be flushed twice before it would start. The mag bottle projectors overloaded and charged, ionized, and the circuitry was still full of straight charges. Boss, Tack said, Boss, are you alive? I am intact, Ulmoak said. You screamed. It sounded like pain. Tack made a sound that reminded Ulmoak of a cough. Particle steat. Someone saw a chance and hit the Jotun with a battery. Tack coughed. A plasma wave phased motion gun from near orbit or a near sea velocity shell or a main near sea velocity shell or a main ion cannon from the battleship. It hurt, Almwak asked. That was a 1.4 kiloton EMP at the end, boss. It was like getting hit in the face with a bash mech fist to you. It blew straight through the particle shields. It took down the battle screens, wrecked up everything, Tack said. He buzzed a second. I'm all hashed up. Sector errors, CRC errors. I'm pretty fragmented. Is it safe to stand up? Almwak said. Yeah, boss. It should be, Tack said. I had to eject the missiles and plasma rounds. Take it easy. Defrag and perform maintenance on yourself, Tack. 
Alwak said, standing up the mech slowly. Only one of his displays worked, a small one for the drone feeds, and Almorak shifted his forward view of it. It was nothing but static, so he rebooted his screens. Triggering a data link, he brought up the comms codes with the seven Bashmik pilots that he had been with and dialed them. Only four answered. Follow me. We need to repair. Mr. Cook's ammunition exploded. He didn't eject his ammunition in time, Plunkettuk said. I can see old Sir Rat's mech. It's torn apart. What happened? Ventra asked. Orbital shot. They took the shot at the Jotun. Elwak told them. His display cleared up just in time for him to look at where the Jotun was. By the forgotten brood mothers, Plakatik said slowly, and Ulmoak knew that she was seeing it too. The clouds were gone, swept away by the blast. A huge mushroom cloud had formed, with other clouds riding up. Black and red, with fires burning in the huge cloud at the top, lightning flickering in them. The whole sky looked like it was burning. I think they got it, Wuxtow said softly. Let us hope. Do not count the credits before with the end of the match, Ulmoak warned. Let us return. We need to repair and refit. The others, used to Ulmoak's calm voice and unshakable demeanor, followed him as they slowly trudged back. The trees were burning. What few buildings that remained were flattened. Debris from the valley had crashed into the landscape. The heavier and larger pieces burst. Smoke covered everything dust and small debris hanging in the air. My warrior boy is stuttering. Sounds drunk, Wokstyle said. Order him to defrag and recompile, Olmwak said. They moved through the shattered day, Olmwak piloting his damaged bash mech by a single screen that barely worked, until they reached the quarry. Twice more, the rumble of great explosions washed over them. In the quarry, the stacks of ammo were tipped over. The cranes on the edge of the quarry had fallen into. Four of the bashmechs were on their backs, and one was getting up slowly. Another was gutted, and chassis were burning from where the missiles inside them had detonated. Fires were still being put out, and Olmwak noted that it looked like everything had been pushed slightly towards the far side of the quarry. Olmwak stopped and powered down his mech, noting, that the survival core case for TAC no longer shined a green light, just a yellow one that slowly flashed. He tried to open the cockpit, but the motor just sputtered and clattered on stripped gears. Elwak had to have the mechanics remove the canopy. The air smelled of seared metal, smoke, and pulverized rock. Seeing the clouds in the distance, with the naked eye, not one small screen was impressive, Elwak noted. Other Bashmek pilots got out and just stared, their jaws hanging open. A few, like Wokstow, started crying. Olwak went into the office to check the status of the shelters. He had to go back out, get a battery, and attach it to the lone comlink that he could find still working, one as he applied power. They were fine. They'd barely felt the shock. Still, he stood by the desk, thinking for a long time in the darkness. The power was still out. The only connection to the shelters was a single shielded hard line and a single freight elevator that still had power and was protected by ten meter thick endosteel shutter. After a moment, he made his decision, going out to the mechanics. I need some parts and your help, he told Cricket. The mechanic nodded. Together, they set to work. It was raining. The clouds were heavy. The rain was full of ash, leaving sticky black streaks on everything. 
The mechanics were still working on the bash mechs, replacing armor, damaged molecular circuitry, replacing actuators that had been frozen up from the sleet and particles or from the impact of debris. Bash mechs were being reloaded as Ulbuak started on his remaining pilots. He was down to ten. Several pilots had been killed by the shockwave, picked up and thrown against something hard enough to kill them. Some could not fight anymore. Unable to stop weeping, some had died in the blast by the canyon. He considered it worth it to kill the Jotun. We must keep fighting, Ulbuak said. Half them flinched. Those who cannot retreat to the shelters, Ulbuak ordered. Be with your families. You will witness those who stay. Three left. Alwak touched each one on the shoulder and bid them farewell. Cricket, send all of your essential mechanics to the shelters, Alwak ordered. Once the bash mechs are repaired and reloaded, you and the others retreat to the shelters. Boss, you're going to need us, Cricket said. He's waved his mechs. We're going to get damaged. Need us. Alwak shook his head. No, friend Cricket, we will not. He turned to Plunkertuk. Go to the shelter. Be with your podlings and your family. Plunkertuk shook her head. No, I will not hide while others fight to protect my family. Homework frowned. I will need you down there. You will need me up here more. The female stared at Homework for a long moment. Boss, I've been with you since we were welding metal forklifts. I know you. There are some things you don't get, and this is one of them, she said. Very well. Thank you, Olmwak said. She was right. Some things he just did not understand. He understood loyalty, though, and Blanketuk had denied turning the executes or the corpsek who had stolen the entire batch of Narkabrew, sitting in the cell right next to Ulomak until his uncle had used his connections to set them both free. Moving over to the table, he picked up another wad of synth cud, jamming it into his jaws. He chewed it slowly, looking at the entrance to the cave. There was a crack in it, a big one. One of the engineers had put a strut in place to ensure that the cave stayed open, and beings were moving the ammo into the cave with the rest of it. Looking back at the Jotun, he could see that the clouds started to spread out. The sky looked bloody and bruised. Boss, you there, boss? Tack asked suddenly. I'm here, Ulbuak said. I'm all better now, boss, Tack said. I was really torn up by the EMP and those particle bursts. I'm better now. Good, Olmwak said. Run diagnostics and pleasure and glory, please. Sure, boss, Tack said. After a few minutes, his voice came back. Boss, why is there a shielded encrypted high-speed data link connected to my survival core? What is that for? Emmanuel suggested it, Brent Tack. Olmwak lied. Lying to his friends was wrong, but Olmwak had come to understand Tack. Oh, okay. The glory really is beat up. She's fully loaded, and they've got her largely repaired, but there's some serious armor damage into arms, and the shock absorbers on the crash cast are blown out. Tack said. Very well, informed the mechanics, Umwak said, but out of massive plasterings, the cut empty. They grabbed another knocker brew. Something was happening. He was sure of it. He stared off into the distance, where the Jotun was burning. Boss! Boss! Tack's voice gave his attention. Yes, Ulmwak asked, opening his eyes. I was looking through the couple of drones that survived the blast. We've got trouble, boss, Tag said. What type? Ulmwak asked, getting to his feet. Metal incoming. Lots of metal incoming. They're pouring out of the Jotun. It's an army. 
Tack said. I'm seeing everything. Repair bots, infantry, big bots, some flying an anti-grav, some on treads, and some just putting themselves with one arm. They want the refinery to repair and bring back to life their god machine, Ulwak said. He whistled to get the attention of his pilots. Most of them were asleep and he sent a whistle through their comlinks. Start glory, Ulwak told Tank and then looked up at his pilots. The enemy are coming. How many? Wokstow asked. All of them, Ulwak answered. If you cannot pilot, retreat to the shelter. Three more blanched and left. One was Restalak, whose chest rings were broken and having problems breathing. That left five of them. Cricket, Elmwak said through his link. Yeah, the engineer asked. Take your people and hide in the cave. The precursors are coming. All of them, Elmwak ordered. Your mech isn't finished, boss, Cricket said. Obey me, was all that Elmwak said. All right, boss, we'll hide out in the back of the cave, Cricket said. The mechanics and workers streamed by, running for the cave. As the Bashmek pilots ran for the machines, Umoak stared at the burning horizon and idly injected the inside of his upper right arm with a narcostim, tossing the container behind him. He walked to the glory and looked at it. His pilot's couch was still exposed. Boss, you can't pilot like this. You're going to be here in minutes, he said. Do not fear, Ulmoak said. The sky screamed and Ulmoak looked up to see the shafts of light streaking across the sky, terminating in greasy-looking clouds. He heard weird fluttering and saw rockets firing towards the Jotun. Point defense and counter-battery, boss, Tak said. The Terran military is trying to help, but you're at the edge of the defensive range. Tell them we will be there soon, Ulmoak said, climbing the ladder. He didn't bother to retract it, just sat back in his couch and leaned back. Getting his mech sync up with his brain, he lifted on a hand and grabbed the ladder and tore it away. Moving over to the pile of armor, bent down and grabbed a piece, bending it around the backsmith's hands, walking slowly as he moved to Tower. Use your light lasers and weld this into my mech, he ordered. He slammed a piece into place, bending it and flexing it with the power of the mech's hand. You sure? Waxtow asked. I'm sure, Elmwak said. All right, boss, Waxtow said. Elmwak heard the hiss of the laser and moved his hand away from Waxtow told him to. He buckled down to his restraints and straps as Waxtow finished the job. His screens were sufficient. He moved the HUD from his missing canopy to his cybernetic eye. They're almost here, boss, Tak said. I'm ready, Elmwak said. He opened the link. Get ready. He turned to the cave, checking the thermals to ensure that nobody was near. He used a laser to slice through the beam at the entrance and collapsed. He fired a single particle beam cannon into the cliff face just above and collapsed the entrance, bringing more rock down. Boss! Boss! What are you doing? Cricket said. Stay safe. Go into the shelter. Well, shut the doors behind you. Someone will come and help you. Olmwak said. You were a faithful employee, Cricket. Thank you, boss, Cricket said. Ulmoak cut the link, turning to facing the far side of the quarry, where the switchback let down into it. Follow me, we'll join the Terrans, and there, Ulmoak said, there, they will witness us, and we will witness them. His five cohorts followed him, waiting as he used lasers on the last of the ammunition parts, reducing everything to wreckage. They're coming, boss, Tak said. The sky was full of traces and puffs of explosions, Metal fragments had started falling from the sky. 
Bill Moak led his comrades to the large parking lot which had once held hauler trucks, cargo lifts, executive cars and factory worker buses. Now there was only half a dozen Terran vehicles, all of them firing skyward. Alboak wished he had a comlink for the Terrans, but pushed that away. Wishes were for children. Together, they stood and faced the direction that the machines would be coming in from. Destroy the buildings, Alboak ordered. Together, the last six pilots of the arena reduced the buildings to slag, using lasers and particle beams. Boss, here they come, Tak said. The machines swarmed out of the wreckage and through the alleys. There was no time to talk. The six pilots fired missiles, pouring them into the oncoming machines. Short-range missiles for the rushes, long-range to hammer the oncoming ranks. Lasers and particle beams shrieked and thundered through the air. For every precursor Ulboak and his comrades killed, twenty more or a hundred more filled the gap. Slowly, the machines gained ground, coming closer and closer. The Terran vehicle's ammo ran dry, and Ulmuak ordered them over his loudspeakers, which was he entertained the crowd with so long ago, to retreat. He used the phrase that he had heard the Terrans say on the tribad, Get out of here, boys. There's nothing you can do. The two Terran vehicles stayed, laser point defense vehicles, their lasers raking the long-range missiles out of the sky. As the precursor machines advanced, now onto the tarmac of the parking lots, Pushing past the wreckage of the public transit buses, the missiles got closer and closer, a waterfall slowly overwhelming the defenses of the Terran vehicles. The precursors were close enough to fight back. Battle screens flared and rippled as lasers and cannon shells pried at them with deadly fingers, looking for some way in. Etel Al-Nanak went down first, a heavy cannon shot blowing through his falling and already damaged battle screen. The liquid stream of explosively forged penetrated, hitting the dead center of his cockpit and exiting from the back of a fan of liquid metal. Alwak opened up his autocannons, going to maximum fire rate, ignoring the heat warnings, breaking the encroaching line of vehicles with armor-piercing discarded sabo rounds, sweeping it back and forth. His missile base ran empty. He slammed the protective cover shut. One of the Terran vehicles exploded. The missile salvo started landing on the side, blowing Nikleem apart as his mech took an entire volley of heavy missiles. Elboak avenged his last pilot with a trio of particle beams and stomped the overheating override and kept firing. Boss, we're going to get overrun, Tak yelled. Yes, Elboak answered. A warborg pulled its way free from the Terran wreckage, grabbing a slightly intact four-barrel point defense gun, plunging it into power cable into his leg, and opening fire, laying two-centimeter laser fire into the oncoming precursors. Almwak added his own fire, sweeping across the still-advancing metal horde. Boss, on our right, Tak called out. The other Terran vehicle blew up. Almwak turned seeing more precursor vehicles rush out, firing as they came. Alboak couldn't stem the tide as the sudden rush let them overwhelm the Swintel's battle screen and pour fire into them. The precursors were on them. Alboak was aware the Terran warwalk fighting, still firing the point defense gun like it was a sidearm, the beam bright with the eye watering when he was swarmed over. Wokstow went down next, screaming, Witness me! As a crab-like precursor machine swarmed up his body, tearing off his armor and lasers firing from their mouths. 
Ulmwak heard him scream, turn and washed over the downed mech with plasma, cutting off Wokstown's scream and destroying the crab bots. Alarms went off and the battle screens went down. Back to back, Plunktikips yelled. My battle screens are down. Almuak took two steps back, feeding his armor thud against hers. Together, they fired, breaking the precursor machines who attacked them as if they were insane, swarming over the smoking wreckage of their own dead as their eagerness to get the last two warriors fighting back to back. Boss, we're out of ammo and we're overheating. We have to withdraw, Tack yelled. We've got like three autocannon rounds left. Goodbye, Tack. You were faithful, Ulwak said, slapping the red button that he had helped wire into the cockpit. Boss, no! What are you do- Don't, don't, what, what, what? Tack vanished, the automatic maintenance transfer sending him into his own survival core. The transmitter went live, sending Tack to a spare survival core that Ulmunak had prepared. A survival core that by now would be being delivered to his uncle. I will see my podling soon, Palankatik grasped. My mech is going to shut down. We're going to pull me from the cockpit and pull me apart. Face me, Homework ordered, when he could see Palankatik's cockpit on his reticle on his left at his arm. Join the podlings without pain, old friend, Homework said. Palankatik's mech stood up straight, precursor machines crawling up its torso and legs. He knew that she was raising her chin in defiance as she dropped her arm. Alwak fired the last three autocannon rounds. Heat flushed through the cockpit of Plunkatuk's mech tipped over backwards, atomizing metal and streaming from the back of the bash mech like blood. Almuak extended the sword and started laying around him, firing lasers, PPCs smashing the precursor machines underfoot. As he fought, he activated his data link. His uncle face appeared in his cyber eye. I'll be with you soon, uncle, was all he said before terminating the link. The precursors were crawling on him as a barrage of missiles got past his overworked point defense and EW. His mech shuddered and stepped back. The overheated gyro seized. Alwak landed on his back, feeling something snap between his torso and his body. He couldn't feel his legs. His mech's power failed. The heat was baking him and he could smell his own flesh and hair burning. At least he couldn't feel it. He opened the comlink. Trucker, come in, trucker, he gasped. His lower lungs weren't working. He could feel blood oozing up in the long throat. Come in, trucker. Something was prying off his makeshift armor. Trucker, come in, trucker, he gasped, pulling the needler out from where he kept it under his pouch. With another hand, he pulled a handful of narco stems out and injected them into his chest. Come in, trucker. The armor screamed as it bent. Trucker here, is that you, Ulmuak? The armor bent far enough for a red-eyed tentacle with graspers to try and slide in. Ulboak fired the needler, smashing the eye. He was able to breathe, barely, without pain. Yes, do it. Do what? Trucker said. Atomics, do it, Ulboak gasped. Can't help us, do it. Trucker dropped the line, and Ulboak slapped the engine start button twice, shooting two more precursors that tried to get in. His mech started, and he struggled to his feet, and what looked like a metal octopus ripped away the canopy. The damaged laser still packing enough of a punch to blow the precursor machine off the front of his cockpit, even if it blistered his flesh and burnt away his hair. It was blind in his front eye, so he turned his head, using his mechanical eyes. He kept firing, not screaming, just shooting. 
Even as the precursor smashed his weaponry, he kept fighting. Even when the chainsaw bowed up and shattered like the chassis of the precursor mech twice wax size. He was still shooting when the precursor pulled his torso out of the cockpit, his lower body staying in the straps, when the world went white. Recall Memo with the regulars earned battle standard and awards due to the defense of Hulamanga Industrial Facility Shelters. A review after action is completed. Burlo 31673 SCR in on-site reports that shelters are intact and sealed. Nothing follows. Hulagana Industrial Facility Destroyed Yesterday, the criminal Ulmoak detonated an industrial facilities fusion reactor, destroying the executor and corporate security who had been defending it from the precursor threat, destroying the Hulanga industrial facility and the shelters both. Tune in later for the official Kestimate Corporation Office of Public Affairs Statement. End of chapter. First Contact, Part 59, Cock. Captain's personal log, stardate 8532.4. We've been out in the dead zone fringe for the past two months, examining the old precursor world that was unsurveyed. Nothing of interest to report. My Spock was disappointed that a hundred and change million year old set of ruins had been largely devastated by time on a largely dead world. Examination showed that the world was subject to massive amount of orbital strikes, glassing, oceans boiled away, and massive atmospheric loss. Mayahura had been, well, less than stellar. I think she did a lot of door sitting to rack up the rankings since she missed an urgent communication from Starfleet that we haven't been able to get back. Going to have to replace her. Not to mention, she is using her the Yahura look by wearing the Discovery uniform. That's not okay. Going to head back to Deep Space Nine Station and see what's going on. The transmission was seriously encoded and pulsed directly to us. I'll turn in our survey results and see if we can get a Type 3 warp engines. The Type 2s are good, but my Scotty has told me that it is picking up a lot of harmonics from cyberspace, like a rumble that keeps coming. Long patrols, almost three years, and most exciting thing that we've had was a talk with a ball cube that was heading back to the edge of the zone. Their cloning banks and sud stacks had got blown out so they didn't want to risk anything and mark themselves as no PvP. We did provide them assistance to them due to their status as neutral vessel and Nana forged them a new creation engine. They were cagey as to what they ran into and could not be damaged by a BB-class ball cube that bad. Cock 8873. Captain's personal log, stardate 8532.14. I don't know what that was in warp space, what, whatever it was, it knocked us clear out of warp and blew out the port in a cell. That rambling and hyperspace is still going. Every few hours, the rumble lasting for an hour or so. It's bad enough that I had to order the holodeck shut down due to the harmonics. Ayahura really screwed the Orion girl. I told her to keep an ear out for any unusual traffic. And what does she do? Roots the priority message from Starfleet with all of the All Fleet's header to her personal comm device. The encryption bricked her comm device and the message. Later, she punted another message that came in with All Guild's header while she was taking a break and listed it as idle over to our Spock's terminal. And bricked half of the science lab including our Type 3 nanoforge. I'll be filing a formal complaint against her and demanding a point review. 
My Spock thinks that there's something going on, something we missed by Ahuhura's incompetence, and he's pretty upset. About a step from pitching her out of the airlock. I've never seen Spock so mad in his ears twitch. She keeps forgetting that this isn't an EVR run and keeps walking around with an idol over her head. No matter, Scotty told me it'll only be a few more days until we warp drive. Cock 8873 Captain's personal log, stardate 8532.38 Well, we've got power back. I had to put Ahura into the brig to guarantee her safety. She had fired up the holodeck, overriding the lockout code, and was running a next-gen Mary Sue sim. In the middle of one of those rumbles, she forwarded a message marked confed.mil to engineering. That pricked everything. Our nanoforge and warp core, everything. Had a data down there, new guy and playing a data, literally melted his brain. I mean, was a tronic alloy running out of his ears, eyes and nose and mouth that interacted with the rumble of the holodeck generation field. It gutted the ship, destroyed the respawn pods, and Spock and Scotty think that it may have blown out our suds auto-update. We've been using the shuttles to stay on atmosphere while we got the warp core back up. We haven't yet, but we've got the life support back. It's been nice to eat a real meal and not the shuttle's emergency stores. Scotty's estimate is about when you let me bash that witch's head in, for when we can get the warp core and engines back up. Cock 8873 Captain's Log, Stardate 8532.52 We've got the warp core back up, the suds can't update, meaning that if anyone gets killed, they're stuck in the backup of 4-4 weeks. Crew members are livid, plus the respawn pods are screwed. We tried regenerating the data and uh, it wasn't good. His screams haunt my dreams. Now we just need to fix the nacelles. The computer started having problems again. Damn, I'm tired. I might step back from Kark rank for a couple years. This mission is being bad. Kark 8873 Captain's personal log, star date 8532.85. If I didn't know better, I'd swear Uhura was a Romulan spy. We found out, finally, where the computer instability was coming from. She had cracked the templates in the ship's communications database. Some of them had a nasty, and I mean nasty, very in them. That's what's been hashing our computers. So our Hura doesn't know jack about me space LARP, and apparently just dull sat on EVR stuff. She loaded the computer of my ship with cracked templates full of viri, and she pricked half of our crap. On the plus side, it looks like we'll have warp 1 capability in a few days. Oh, and our rescue beacons? Uh, bricked. Cock 8873 Captain's personal log, star date 8532.141 Holy shatner, where do I begin? First, the port nacelle went down again. We were still sitting in between two planets when the whole Gorn fleet dropped on us. We were not talking one of the little ones. I think it was every Gorn ship out there, full of lizard dudes. We're even talking of taking a couple of other species-only ships where everyone on the ship was born a Syrian. We figured that we were screwed since they immediately opened the such channel to get the compressed backup of everyone. You only do that when you're about to have a major fleet engagement. Then the fleet big rock thrower himself comes me, not on my Starfleet com, but my personal com, tells me he'll send a shuttle right now, told me that I could bring my Spock, McCoy, and Scotty. What we heard, we didn't believe. 
full template unlocks. We're not talking about some hope of luring back old players. We're talking about, you want it, it's yours template unlocks. Apparently, some group of Xeno species out past the dead zone woke up an entire precursor fleet, getting the crap tashiyard out of them. Also, the Senfed told everyone to grab their crap and go and help. Showed me on the message my Uhura balked. It was an emergency update for the Type 2C's warp engines. That rumble we were getting from hyperspace, that's the low bands of overpressured. You know those bands, they're slow ones and they're mainly used by colony ships and long-haul truckers. Yeah, so much metal has started to move that it's causing hyperspace reverberation into jump space and warp space. I had Scotty run how much metal that might be and he told me that the math comes up to moving than gigatons of metal. He said that you could probably see the bulge from the hyperspace and subspace. The Gorn helped us repair and update our warp engines. He said that he couldn't tell me much more. I didn't have the right security header so he couldn't be sure that I was actually cock ranked. Oh, and because the doofy moron put a cracked template on my computer, he had to register me as a possible pirate vessel. I should airlock that moron. Cock8873. Captain's personal log, stardate 8532.159. We made it to the nearest Deep Space Nine station and, uh, well, free repairs on my ship, free templates across your ranking and below, all qualified persons. Looks like all my time jumping around classes paid off because template restrictions are being lifted. Kota is being fitted out with Type 7 engines, new warp cores, new suds rack, new respawn pods, Type 6 nanoforge, Type 14 creation engine, new replicators, new transportation system, shielded and encrypted man trans beams, using the suds rack and error checking. Still comes with a neural degradation warning, but hey, them's the risks of the game. Our Hura problem was solved. Turns out that she was an account sharer. Got my name cleared from the cracked templates. Turned out that she was actually running those templates to a ship that never showed up. Anyway, turns out that if the full-blown precursor attack across a bunch of sentient systems on the other side of the dead zone, we're not talking a little one. We're talking full fleets of the things. I'm trying to decide if I want the Dakota reconfigured for battle or not. I'd planned on taking a break for a couple decades after the Borg War came back in 8527, when Starfleet had got stomped so bad. Because my Battle.net rating is so high, I've even been offered the chance to come back to StarCraft or even Red Alert, or the 40k RTS for multiplayer v precursor maps. My Spock isn't up to it. He took me up on my LFG because I was supposed to be doing science-only missions, and this last mission really blew out his nerves. I feel for the guy, he's a good player, but his nerves have been shot since he had a bad Voyager run with a really bad captain. The death Armada scandal a few years back really soured a lot of players. I'll probably go ahead and see who wants to drop and run the NLFG call. Cock8873 Captain's personal log, stardate 8532.159 the Dakota's been reconfigured for old Trek ship classes. Since you're allowed to do cross seasons at this time, loaded up with the good stuff, been used an old Trek Super Dreadnought class that's illegal in any other seasons. The LFG went good, a bunch of restrictions have been lifted, so I've got some weird crew members, but they're all high ranking. My Spock is a fox girl out of the bass, and she's got a solid ranking and actually has a few IRL science creds. My America-class Super Dreadnought allows me for a gunnery and security positions, so I took a few heavy hitters. 
Even got a Riker to join us. He's a former captain, so if anything happens to me, my crew and ship are in good hands. We'll do a shakedown cruise on the way to the new systems as soon as everyone gets their mandatory SUDS deep scan done for the main stack back on Luna. Cock 8873 Captain's personal log, stardate 8532.211 Arrived in new system. It's a wreck. According to my Sulu, Leslie's are not ranked for this. The systems we came into was uh, allied space, but within 30 minutes before we could even get lightspeed sensor returns, we had precursors on us. It's easy. Looking at the heavy shielding and everything, we play with and figure nothing can really hurt us. I mean, we tussle with the Borg players. Sometimes might even fight with the 40k guys, but this... this was bad... We don't have the NCV rounds, and it only takes a half a dozen or so hits from those to completely drop your shields. We warped out, came out in a different system, and sure as Janeway, those things jumped us again. Different ship types, but lean and efficient. One on one, hell, twenty on one, I could probably take their light attack craft, but when they swarm you by the thousands on one or more, well, you GTFO. Your crew and your ship are more important than putting into the darkness. My Klanons have to wear psychic dampeners that scream those precursors do drive them into a Klanon battle frenzy. Ran a nanoforge pretty hard building psychic shields for Dakota. It was worth it. Our third system, we got hit, but we were ready. I ran up some kinetic shields and turned them over to my Spock, and she managed to reconfigure them to take NCV hits. My new Ahura was amazing. She managed to isolate the battle chatter well enough that we figured out where the big daddy was. We went in cocky, and wow, my crew is glad that I'm not a point hound. That ship was big. We're talking thousands of miles across and 300 miles thick. We're talking armor miles thick, main gun batteries, not by the dozens, but by the dozens of miles. It started shedding huge amounts of parasite torture fighters. We fired photon torpedoes and GTFO'd. We're sitting in dead system now. No life on the planets in the screen zone, and there's still a lava on that bottom of the craters, the canyons. The precursors messed this place up. Cock 8873. Captain's personal log, stardate 8532.232. Had to have a major discussion with the crew. Confit is offering military-grade weapons to us, qualified LARPers. Apparently, surviving those three system sensor sweeps impressed some of the military guys. They looked over our records and complimented me on knowing when to run. Turns out my Riker held the Reserve Space Force Commission from about 200 years ago. That means he can put us in some serious weapons. I can't believe that the Doki girls and the Kawaii Orcs got thumped so bad. It's a madhouse here. The crew decided that they want to keep going. Everyone knows one or two mat trances won't blow you out. If you aren't sudsed up, you just gotta watch it a bit. Had some of the neo-sapient and uncivilized neo-species tested for us. A major neurological defunctions. I've got an America class, which means I've got the big transport bays. We're talking drop the entire battalion of red shirts onto the planet and once each bay. I've got six bays. That means I can also recover as many. It's galling to find out that these precursors hit so hard. I was all dreaming of rolling up on them and hand phasing proton torpedoes out crap out of them. Instead, they hit back and they hit back hard. But the Dakota is tough enough to take a beating. Guild excuses my non-canon modifications to the Dakota, since we lost a couple good captains out there already. 
The Confed guys want us to pull refugee evacuations because we can't fight back, take a beating, and bring up refugees. Plus, I've got the life support and medical sections to handle it all. The crew wants to do it. My Spock said that since everyone else is rushing to engage in combat, we need to uphold the true nature of the Federation and save people. She gave me an impassioned speech, joined by our Uhura, about the real message of the Federation and Confed isn't, we're tough, rawr, but rather, we bring hope, that everyone forgets and that we're in the excitement of space battle. She reminded me that everyone, while we've got our suds, then don't think about mortality. These people on the planets do not. They only have one life, no respawn. Uhura asked us how we'd act if we didn't have suds or respawns, how precious our one life would be. It was almost unanimous. The Dakota is going to be running rescue operations. It's what's right, dammit. I'm respecting... Cock 8873. Cock's personal log, Stardate 8532.238. Entered the system, broadcasting a distress beacon, and encountered three Goliath class precursor machines attacking the system while Confed forces counterattacked. Proceeded to integrate with Confed forces and began rescue operations. The Dakota is well served in such a role as the multi-purpose early Starfleet Super Dreadnought with extensive life support and security, as well as over-redundant life support, we should be able to affect the rescue of many beings who might have otherwise been lost. Crew confidence is high. Picard, 8873. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.